Hello, and welcome to American Girlies, where Canadian adults read the American girl books. I am Margot Mathieu. I'm Hannah Sparwasser Soroka. And I'm Sonia Ann. And we are all historians, which is why we are qualified to do this podcast. This week, we're reading Kirsten Learns a Lesson, which was written by Janet Beeler Shaw. It is the second Kirsten book and was part of the first group of American Girl books that was published together in 1986. Here's our our super quick rundown of what happens in Kirsten Learns a Lesson. Kirsten goes to school. She does not speak English well, which is why she cannot learn a poem. She meets an indigenous girl, uh, almost runs away, decides that she likes being in America, learns the poem. Everything is hunky-dory. She goes to the most disturbing school that I have ever read about, and I read the Harry Potter books. So (laughs) (laughs) here we are. Yeah, this school's a treat. So now I, as our resident American and Americanist, (laughs) will run through a little bit of the historical context for this book. So this one is happening, obviously, like the last one in the 19th century, um, and it's about Swedish immigrants in the Minnesota Territory. It seems to be leading pretty heavily into a couple of frameworks for how Americans were starting to think about themselves at this time. So we have Manifest Destiny, which is that... The U.S. in the 19th century really had this belief that, quote unquote, Americans, and they had a very specific idea of who those Americans were, were destined to control essentially the whole Western Hemisphere. This includes uh, South America. At this time, the United States is made up of a few states uh, just along the eastern seaboard, and then they're starting to buy up and or annex territories to the West. Um, The idea is eventually to expand across the entire continent from sea to shining sea, and then also uh, work your way south and possibly north into Canada. Much like Kirsten, a lot of the people who are now Americans in this period were not born Americans. They were not born into the country that is America because for a lot of them, America didn't exist. The U.S. is barely 60 years old at this time. But more importantly than that is that Manifest Destiny on some level for a lot of Americans is about expanding American chattel slavery into all of these soon-to-be-conquered places. This is one of the big things that kind of happens with Texas becoming a state, and we can look into the filibusters for things about that, but that's kind of a tangent. So what does this mean logistically for America? What does this expansion look like? It's essentially a long, complicated process of forcing indigenous people off of their land, mostly through violence and things that are really deeply, truly horrifying. So if we start in the East, this is 
forced removals at gunpoint of indigenous communities. Essentially, they're sent on death marches across the plains. The most well-known example of this is the Trail of Tears, but there are others up and down the East Coast. As these people move onto the plains, it causes problems for other people who have been living on the plains for generations, um, who are also still going through their virgin soil epidemics, uh, mumps, smallpox, measles, all of those kinds of epidemics on the East Coast really started and came to a climax at the beginning of the 17th century, but they're still making their way across the plains. Um, And then into this, we introduce a not quite totally sanctioned uh, policy of this this kind of system of setting up what are referred to in legal documents as white squatters, which does sound like a racist trash punk band, but is eventually used as a legal term for families doing essentially what the Larsons are doing, which is moving on to uh, quote-unquote uninhabited land, but what is unceded indigenous land, just setting up shop, making it quote-unquote productive, and then when indigenous people push back at them using the might of the U.S. military to annihilate them. So then we get to a part of the book uh, that Singing Bird's family has to leave, and the claim that they make is that because of all of the farms, all the deer have left, but the people of Minnesota did not live off of deer. They lived off of the buffalo slaughter. Uh, What the U.S. does is go in, send in American troops to just kill all of the buffaloes, just all of them, all the American bison. They kill literally millions of them. There are some really horrifying photographs that you can find just online of the carcasses and skeletons of these bison just piled up into like a building-sized piles. Um, They end up without food or shelter. Then the American government then uses that as blackmail, telling them that if they move to the reserves that the U.S. government has set up for them, which is on essentially unarable land, um, that the U.S. would provide them with food. Um, And my notes say, now we see the (laughs) violence inherent in the system. And then the sort of last little note is that most of this book takes place in a school. Um, I I don't think that we have time to touch on all of the violence of the, like, schooling in the West. This would get into all of the mission and residential school systems in the U.S. and Canada, respectively. But just a note that the teacher in this book is whack as fuck. So that's a little bit of context for Kirsten, for Kirsten Learns a Lesson. So now that we have um, a little bit of the historical context covered, what did you guys think of, of Kirsten Learns a Lesson? Honestly, comparing it to meet Kirsten it's better plotted it's a like it's a better paced better planned young reader novel but the plot is nuts and there's kind of two plots right there's the a plot about going to school and not learning and not knowing enough English and the b plot about befriending a little indigenous girl who wants to adopt you and take you with her on the plains uh and those two plots have nothing to say to one another. In fairness, though, I do think that those plots speak to each other because my understanding, right, is Kirsten meeting Singing Bird thinks 
for a minute, oh, if I go with Singing Bird, I don't have to go to school. I don't have to learn this stupid poem. But because she is the new American girly, she is like, no, actually, I am going to stick it out in my log cabin with my family and go to school and stuff rather than taking off. But I, I agree that there could have been more done to integrate this. Yeah. But my bigger problem with this book is that every few pages, something insane happens. <laughs> and it's just treated as fine. The number of times I went, <gasps> Yeah, the number of times I had to take a pause to go, no, surely, surely not. Surely this is not what's happening here. Yeah. And then you go in a few more pages, you're like, oh, again. So one of the things that I did want to say about sort of how the plots interact with each other is I think that that's where we really get the lesson that Kirsten learns, which is <laughs> horrifying, um, because I think she needs both the terrifying New Englander violent teacher um, and the exploring the woods with the little indigenous girl to really get to what does it mean to be an American girly? So... This book begins with Kirsten being sent to her first day of American school with her cousins, Lisbeth and Anna. They are not, like, they are sort of looking forward to it because they're keeners. Uh, the cousins, not not Kirsten. Kirsten is not looking forward to school because it's going to be in English. And what they've said about their teacher, Mr. Coogan, is that he's really horrible and he beats his students regularly. Um, yeah, the first chapter. How do you learn if you're not beaten, if it's not beaten into you, literally? How do so you learn? you want to talk about the, like, boys in Sweden don't get to brawl in the classroom? Yes. So there's a direct quote on page two, starting strong, where the cousins are telling Kirsten that, like, oh, yeah, the boys at school are just fighting each other all the time. And Kirsten says, in Sweden, boys weren't allowed to fight in school, unquote. And the cousins reply with, quote, well, this is America. And here the boys get wild, <laughs> whether they should or not. Because they're frontiersmen. Because they're frontiersmen. Boys will be They're boys. not soy boys Swedes. These are Americans. And then two seconds later, wait, yeah. two seconds later, Anna promises that she'll make sure the boys don't peek at Kirsten while she uses the outhouse. And Kirsten is like, this would never happen in Sweden. Why are the boys here allowed to behave this way? So it's it's painting this very bleak picture for Kirsten that she's just going to a school with rampant violence and sexual assault all the time. Yeah, but a couple America. pages after this, it's revealed that, like, some of the students are adult men. That, like, yes. like so she gets bullied by a student yucky. who makes fun of her for not speaking good English, and it turns out he's 19 years old and she's nine. And, like, yeah, and, he's older and they're all the gonna, teacher. like, oh, these 19-year-old men are gonna brawl in my classroom, and, like, it just was so jarring to me to read about oh yeah, you don't really have an expectation of a safe learning environment. Also, some of the people who are making your environment unsafe are adults. A fully adult man who's going to watch a actual child use the outhouse. Or just like bully a, bully a nine-year-old. An adult man is going to bully a nine-year-old. 
and this is in a in a children's book. So, but they get yeah, to the school. Next, they get to the school, next and it's question. not Mr. Coogan. It's Miss Winston, who is depicted yeah. as a gray-haired Puritan in the pencil drawings, <laughs> but is actually 19 years old and feisty. Yeah. She doesn't beat the students, but she does slack the radiator with her ruler, the furnace. Yes, because because in the in her classroom, her students are not quote savage like the Indians. I, this was, I literally gasped at this. Yeah, and it, and it is horrifying. absolutely that frontier stuff you were talking about, where it's like I know you live in this desolate and empty place, but you must behave like posh white people. It's just a wild depiction of what somebody from New England is like as a person. Well, it's giving the, you know, people in the Midwest aren't like these coastal elites who are out of touch, right? It's very much that vibe of like... It totally is. People from, you know, the more, like... The places that are a little bit more established in that like European style of settlements, right, where you have more large cities, etc., are like not able to understand the frontier like like people in Minnesota do. So that's a that's a whole thing. In school, Kirsten immediately has a rough go of it because she's like super shy and doesn't do well introducing herself to the new teacher and she's being given the primary like the primer for the first level of education i have a lot of thoughts about this because she seems to be illiterate like she yeah she like can't make her letters uh the way that her cousin can like was there she talks about how there was a school in Sweden. Are they teaching them like Viking runes? Yeah, no, but Sweden uses <laughs> the Latin alphabet. Like this yeah. girl, like she, English is a foreign language to her, but she should know, like she should be able to sound out dog without too much trouble. Anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about like how bad this education is, which is obviously like period appropriate. People weren't getting super great educations in one room schoolhouses. Um, but no, but she should be able to to write if she could write in Swedish. Like I can write in French. My handwriting looks the yes, same. Yes, exactly, and it's the same alphabet. And yeah, I I also think it's an interesting choice in 1986 to choose a girly who like doesn't enjoy school and isn't gifted at it and is really shy and doesn't seem to be keeping up i just think that's a really interesting choice um given that yeah a lot of the girl power messaging is like girl power she does gymnastics and gets straight a's and plays guitar like that's not yeah and so i will much. say like as one of the the people on the podcast who has a history with american girls is that the first like three american girls are not like bookish they don't do well in school. Even Molly, who, like, you know, you would think from looking at her is, like, the, the nerdy girl with her glasses and her little hat and all of that, not not bookish. The thing that she likes about school is that she 
maybe is a lesbian because she's got this weird crush on her teacher and spends a lot of time talking about her teacher's hair. But that's Molly for later in this yeah. season. But like the the American girls, at least to begin with, don't seem to really have much to do with with school. Like they all have a, a book that happens at school, but they don't seem to like it. They don't seem to do well in it. I think the Kirsten version is insane. Yeah, but... I I don't know what this reflects, right? Is this just them being like, yeah, a lot of little girls don't like school and we're just going to honor that? Or is this them reflecting something about how education and yeah. women's education was still viewed in the 1980s that like they don't really need it to be all around American girlies? And just like not interrogating, maybe Kirsten doesn't start liking school because the grown men are fighting and watching her use the washroom yeah but we're not gonna address that ever again no uh or that the if you don't learn your poem the teacher might hit you with rulers yeah i don't think i would like school either no that sounds bad but there's this whole b plot that kicks in like around chapter three or four where she well first she has this bizarre hangout with her cousins where they play with their dollies and regurgitate anti-indigenous propaganda to each other Woo! Uh, like you do yeah sitting around just talking about how but we really need the land so sucks for and them they don't sucks to suck I um it wasn't i have a question about oh go ahead sorry. sorry i was gonna say i thought it was an interesting choice to have this whole idea right that oh yeah the indigenous people are being pushed off the land because of the farms but that's not our fault and we aren't responsible in any way yeah we're not actively coming here and building the farms yeah it's presented very passively and it's presented (laughs) by her cousins right rather than being presented as like an adult saying this like it's an interesting choice to have it be the kids because then it comes off as much more passive like oh man these farms just came out of nowhere and it's like it's not how that works there's a cause and effect here yeah Yeah. And, and the other kind of thing that I was wondering about is these kids are talking about indigenous people and they're talking about them like they're mythical fairies like I've heard they're kind I've heard they move real quiet because they wear soft shoes And I'm just wondering, and I don't know because I'm not an expert in this specific field, but would these kids have encountered Indigenous people? Like, would there have been? Yes. Yeah, right? These are not kids who, they probably maybe wouldn't have encountered very many, but they certainly would have had more than the guy who showed up because mom was cooking a roast pig that um, for some clarity on that, one, it does feel like the next thing they're going to say is that I hear that if you eat their food, you're going to be trapped in their land forever. Uh, <laughs> but also, they would have been at least on some level dealing with indigenous people. If there are as many farms sort of around enough to have a school that can be supported and have as many children as are supposedly in this school, they would have some sort of town center. And in the town center, you would be encountering indigenous people as well. 
coming to trade, coming to do things, again, coming to get food because the U.S. government is destroying their food stores. Um, there would probably be Indian agents in the area. You would at least have an awareness of indigenous people like maybe Kirsten might not have met anyone yet that is reasonable but well and like, then there would be people in the town. moving on to the next major plot point when she does meet an indigenous person for the first time it's treated as this like very strange exchange of little presence with each other and like yeah. Singing bird is almost treated, Edna. yeah, again, as like this almost fairy <laughs> figure who like emerges from the woods and like leaves a cryptic drawing and then vanishes again. And you're like, that's a human person. Yeah, but they yeah, walk real the, like, quiet. Flower unfurls and she like hops out like Thumbelina. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's yeah. a very it's it's a very specific type of imagery that's being used around her. I have another question about this, and maybe I've thought about this harder than uh, the author uh, Janet Beeler Shaw did, but uh, what language are they speaking? Because there's a whole deal about how Singing Bird doesn't have good English and struggles to speak English, and I thought this was going in a direction of, like, they're going to practice English together, but no, it goes from, like, she learns the word pretty to I know her name and I know her parents' names and now we're chatting. And I'm just wondering, is is the language gap because Kirsten is speaking English and Singing Bird has no English? Or is it because Kirsten is speaking Swedish and Singing Bird has no Swedish? Because that seems more plausible to me in terms of like not being able to say basic things like this is my name and that looks nice. I thought that it was going to go in the realm of like, oh, now we make some sort of like patois out of Swedish and whatever, like Suan, or I guess it could be also Anishinaabe kind of language that Singing Bird might be speaking. We're not given any sort of information about Singing Bird's like actual culture, other than that they apparently all live in like three teepees, which is baffling to me, but whatever. According to when Kirsten does eventually follow Singing Bird home and meets her father, uh, he thanks Kirsten for teaching Singing Bird English. And so supposedly they're speaking English together and this man who is fluent in English is not teaching his own daughter English. I don't understand what's happening. I thought this was like some good diegetic Swedish stuff, but no, it's just nonsense. Okay. Yeah, no, he's like, because he thanks her, he's like, oh, you're the yellow-haired girl who's teaching my singing bird English. And he's, he communicates in full sentences to her, so I guess he's speaking English and she understands it. I don't know. Maybe the thing happens that happens in like the Pocahontas cartoon they listen with their hearts like i wouldn't be surprised if like if this book weren't claiming it's translated by the tree grandmother willow comes in listen if this book weren't claiming to be a history book i would have been like yeah that sounds like the 1980s that's fine like but yeah yeah, okay that answers my question which is the solution is reading comprehension um the whole thing the whole thing where a singing bird is associated with deer which as you've discussed like the the important food stuff is buffalo and she keeps being associated with deer 
uh, which is like a beautiful little girl animal. Yeah. Uh, deer are also American girlies. And then also the fetishization of yellow hair of like. Yeah, I wanted to say like, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot. <laughs> As the resident getting, yellow haired girl. Darker. but I just don't think that yellow hair would have been that remarkable to someone who again this seems like a large settlement singing bird would have definitely seen people with yellow hair before like i don't it feels yucky it gives me the ick how big of a deal is made out of kirsten having blonde hair? at least they didn't fucking didn't call like her that. porcelain skin like you know like you know i was waiting for that on any moment <laughs> milk skin but also yeah. then we need to discuss what happens when Finally, you know, Kirsten has been going back and forth with Singing Bird. They've, like, built up a little relationship. And then we get to the point where Singing Bird shows up and says, "Uh, there's no more food. We're leaving. Do you want to come with us? Which is insane. Yeah. And Kirsten's like, I could run away and be Chief, whatever the guy's name is, yellow-haired daughter. Yep. Which so it's again mentioned again, and that she's just like like the guy just is like she's just gonna show up yeah. and she's gonna be like yeah. My my reading of this was that the guy had been past the school and realized how <laughs> awful it was and was like we have to rescue these little white babies <laughs> because they are being tortured. I mean, what gets me is that it's just like, but but as a history book. Right. This is being presented to children as a way to learn about American history. And the presentation of this is essentially, yeah, sometimes indigenous people would just randomly kidnap settler children, which is incorrect. Like, I'm not an Americanist or a Canadianist or like anything. And I'm like, even I know that's not it. Yeah, as if like this family being like, oh, we picked up a white daughter wouldn't trigger a genocide. Right, like, like, Papa Larson would would murder yeah. these people. Yes, there was there was kidnapping, and there was kidnapping of like white settlers. But it's a, a systematic process, right? And this is a like tradition of like kidnapping that existed between indigenous nations long before. Um, but it's it's systematic the way that it it is done, and it's part of like war making and reparations for previously killed right like people. my understanding um, is that this yeah. is something that would go on between groups who were at war right it's not just a your child was walking around outside and i just <laughs> took them no like that's not a thing now there is a there is a a sort of like understanding gap between settlers and indigenous people as to who is right. at war sometimes because these white squatters would think that what they were doing was okay and fine and they had a right to be there and indigenous people would say you are breaking a treaty we have the right to raid your village um and oftentimes like squatters would kill indigenous people moving through their lands in a weird like get off my lawn american idea of property ownership and indigenous people would be like this is not your land and they would 
um, kill them. And then the indigenous people would raid the village or the farms uh, in retaliation for that murder and possibly take a slave to replace that person in their community. This is a ongoing problem starting out east yeah. of like mo- what's called mourning wars. Um, that was a tradition like across the American continent. Um, yeah, but this is a method. But like that's how that would happen. It wouldn't just be like this little white girl seems sad. She should come live with us because there will be no consequences for yeah, that. Yeah, it was a method of population <laughs> replenishment, not like come with yeah. me and we'll eat Turkish delight forever. Like yeah, population replenishment, and also it was a way of making peace is part of it, right? So you have an attack and then a retaliation. We take back the number of people that you killed, and now we are both like. Yeah, like we're we're good. Call it quits. We call it. Yeah, and it wasn't like we are abducting you so we can torment you. In a lot of cases, it was we are abducting you so we can adopt you, so you can be one of us now. So we have the same number of us as we did before. Which I mean does sound like what was going to happen with Kirsten here. To be fair, they weren't trying. It wasn't like they're going to torment her or anything. But the the just the act of yeah it'll be fine if we just take this child is quite a like she's literally going to fetch a pail of water for the school and yeah singing bird just pops up at the <laughs> riverbank and it's away. like hi also i have to because i was the context guy for the first episode i have to say that all this drinking from rivers is wildly irresponsible given that there's cholera but um like this is how <laughs> this is how we get cholera and lose our best friends um no no it's just because marta was the most unluckiest girl in all of minnesota as we've discussed the water is especially clean on the frontier yes yes it's bracing no no runoff from all that animal agriculture it makes you stronger there is one more thing i wanted to talk about with like the depiction of singing birds community in a very like what in the 1980s is happening here because they show up the first time that they show up in her town, it's like four teepees and a bunch of scrawny dogs. And I'm like, what in the reservation is happening here? Because what, like, why is the phrasing of this? Number one, I was like, why are the dogs so scrawny? Like, what, why are we, why are we pointing that out? Number one. And then number two, like, why is this community so tiny? Like one family, really lives in a teepee like they're not longhouse setups like out east so like why are there only like four people like yeah what what is this community these are like thriving communities at this point in time like and then they make a point of uh saying that they are leaving like when singing bird comes to the the creek they make a point of saying that it's the farms are driving away the animals that they eat and that's why they have to go and look and see somewhere else so it it really reinforces this idea of like that like the indigenous people are just gonna fade away they'll just fade away disappear back to the land of fairy and this is the disappearing indian and actually yeah and it has nothing to do with the like active destruction of the u.s government on the part like on the behalf of randos that they've pulled over from Europe. And just to like say, to bring us to the end of the book, page 60, it ends with Kirsten thinking, quote, now Kirsten understood that if the settlers made a home here, 
the Indians would have to find a new home, unquote. And then it just rolls right on into Kirsten recites her poem. Everything's great. She's an American girl now and she can speak English. And you're like, girl, girl, yeah, we're, we're just going to be fine with dispossessing people of their land and forcing them to move away. Like, again, it's it's presented as like, they'll go back to fairyland where everything is wonderful and whatever. And you're like, ah. There's three kind of interrelated things I want to bring up here, which is that when Singing Bird's dad is talking about how, oh, the deer are gone and we're going hungry. Uh, Kirsten has like a flashback to her own experience of hunger when yes. her family's crops failed in Sweden. And she talks about how her baby brother like could not be placated because he was crying so much because he was so hungry. And so she has this common touch point of having experienced hunger and her solution to it is, well, I got mine. Yeah, you should leave. (laughs) Sounds like you need to go. And then that brings me to the, the other thing, which is that when Singing Bird says, come with us, One of the things Kirsten does not think about is these people are being treated badly and they go hungry all the time. She just thinks about how much she's going to miss her mom and dad, which is fine. But she ends in this big cathartic statement of, I can't go with you. This is my home. And my first thought was, yeah, until about 20 minutes ago, it was singing birds home too. Like home is a flexible concept. It wasn't your home to like in the last book. Like it, you've only just it wasn't her home. It wasn't her home until like up until that page. Yeah. Her home was Sweden and Singingberg's home was Exactly. Minnesota. So so basically, you know, singing it was Singingberg's home before it was your home. Uh and yeah. it's this big cathartic moment where she finally adopts Minnesota as her own. But Singingberg doesn't say like, yeah, home is portable, isn't it? Which is weird yeah. because that's another touch point they have in common. They both experienced hunger and they both learned that the notion of a home is portable. And yet mm-hmm. Kirsten has to clock onto that white squatter, white picket fence. Like, the, I have bought this yeah. land. It is mine now. And I will not leave it. And then the final thing I want to say is that it is actually quite tragic because in both of the Kirsten books so far, we see her make a friend share experiences with that friend and then lose the friend and in both books it's waved off as oh at least she has her family oh the teacher likes her now it's fine but these are genuinely destabilizing events for a nine-year-old child to have a friend die and then also have a friend permanently move away in an in an era where like that friend doesn't have an address that you can write to well and also where presumably you're new friend is being driven off of their land and will continue to go hungry in the future as more and more settlers arrive like it's a bleak situation for singing bird here and all of her family and it's just it's completely glossed over in this book and i i do question why you would even yeah, I, I just I don't know why you would write this book. Yeah. Is my question why is why does <laughs> <Yeah>. this exist? <laughs> well, I so I find this I find this if we put it into like the context of the things that are being created in right. the 1980s, even going into the early 1990s, because there's some other books that are introduced to the American Girl series around that time that I think tie in 
and make this whole thing even more questionable. Because this is also a period of dances with True. wolves. And in that we have the the man from like, was he with Custer or whatever he was doing where he gets put out on the that uh that posting um and then like becomes one with the Lakota and like learns to speak Lakota and they have the whole like Tatanka moment. And he there they had adopted this white woman and now she's like quasi indigenous and he, the perfect match for this weird like American dude, but like they end up having to leave the indigenous people because they're like fading away. Like the elves, they're gonna go off to the gray yeah. havens or something like that and leave this land for the men of the West. It's so bonkers. But then like not how many years later we have an indigenous girl introduced into the American Girl canon. And I just find it super weird of how she's going to fit into this fictionalized America that is created by the American Girl series when we have these tales in Kirsten's story of like, well, the indigenous people were supposed to just disappear and any of them who are still here. Essentially, this book, I feel like without, because it's not mentioning any of the things that are happening um to those people that like it is not an active occurrence that they're not being actively starved by the american government that like it's right that that happens to them so a fun fact about kaya is that her story is set almost 100 years before kirsten's and that's how they're able to uh, include her during a time before the fading into the west or whatever um but uh, I wanted to say to like a thing about the disappearing Indian myth, which is that it is a pervasive racist myth that indigenous people just yeah. aren't around and that their cultures and their food ways and their life ways are just extinct. Um, and that's where you get things like indigenous skeletons showing up in your local natural history museum, which is incredibly awful um, and, and cruel. Um, but also, uh, one of the kind of foundational myths of the disappearing Indian myth that isn't talked about very much is this 17th century idea that the indigenous people are relatively recent settlers themselves, which is why they don't have traces on the land in scare quotes. Um, and that therefore it's totally fine to push them off the land because they presumably pushed someone else off the land. Uh, and like they'll just move on to something else because this isn't really their land either uh, and so we can just take it from them. Yes so there's a really there's a really fascinating documentation about that um, because in the indigenous creation stories right so you have at least in the on the east coast um, where you have sky woman and then like otter or another animal that is like diving to like make the land for the 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 earth diver story and then you make the land and that makes turtle island and that's the whole of north america but people all start in these stories in one place and then they move around and so in most of these stories for like lenape iroquois algonquin the people have a story of traveling across the land and then of um, moving sort of the um, like three sisters being brought from a place. It's part of their creation story. And in the beginning of the 19th century, they purposefully stopped telling that story to missionaries who are coming to write down 
anything like that these people about their culture right so you have like anthropologists and missionaries who are coming and trying to learn the language mostly for the purposes of um translating the bible but they also record a lot of like the uh historical stories of the people that they're they're interacting with and there is a strategic point at which like especially for indigenous leaders who could write who had like a syllabary or were writing in english where they make a decision of we cannot tell this story to americans or to white americans anymore we can't tell this to the u.s government anymore because they're going to use it to justify removing us from this land and so you can only sort of find it in um if somebody specifically references it in a journal or if you're comparing stories that are told um in the 19th century versus stories that are told in the uh 17th century which is a really i think it's a sort of fascinating strategic yeah it's also testimony that these are not dying folkways and dying traditions that they are people are actively engaged with them and making strategic decisions about what to share right Mm -hmm. um like the the fact that they're saying this is going to give you the excuse to try and disappear us is evidence that they didn't fucking disappear um anyway (laughs) but this is also extremely convenient and i don't i'm not an expert on this either But coming in the 80s, where you have the kind of yuppie backlash to the activism of the 60s and 70s, especially like the the indigenous activism. Yeah. I mean, not especially. Mm -hmm. All the activism had a backlash. But in the 70s, you you had really powerful indigenous activism um, around Mm -hmm. land reclamation and around acknowledgement of peoples who had previously not, nations that previously had not been acknowledged. And in the eighties, you have a Reaganist conservative backlash. That's a, that's a really, yeah, that's a a really good point. I think that it, there's, I think that it, it, there would be a a really fascinating project in there of sort of tracing the, because the 1980s is so full of um, not even just cop dramas, but FBI centered dramas um, that after AIM and the uh, death of FBI agents um, during like occupations on indigenous land, uh, situations like that, that like the media that comes out of that is so very specific and sort of building up these institutions of Americana. Um, I think that the weird authoritarian schoolhouse kind of fits into that niche here that you have like this like actually violent authoritarian figure sort of as a like policing the behavior of these little white children um but also setting them up for a future of like occupying this land uh that i think fits really neatly into the like weird cop dramas that happen and kirsten does this uh, like on television kirsten does this kind of backlash to the women's movement thing where she's like i just want to be at home making bread with mama i don't want to go to school and have to learn english and there's no conversation about like actually it will be beneficial for you for the rest of your life if you do this i know it sucks right now and your teacher is a loon but you know it is for your future benefit um there's also this kind of like generally 
this is also going back to the thing about the deer where it's a little bit like the environmental movement at that time where it was like you should stop throwing your garbage on the side of the road and not there is a systemic problem that is destroying environments right oh it's so sad for this one family that they're out of deer and not oh there's a systemic there's a system of disenfranchisement and genocide that is happening that we could do something about and wreaking havoc on our natural world yeah i saw that parallel too yeah so i guess the question now is with all this being said i think it's time to rate the book what is our rating system this week margo uh i don't know how to find one that's not gonna be horrifyingly offensive <laughs> like out of five dead buffaloes like i don't know uh what if we did like out of trinkets that you leave for your mysterious friend <laughs> out of five thwacked rulers <laughs> yeah scrawny rest dogs <laughs> Why did they describe? I, I'm sorry, I'm still not over the all of the scrawny dogs that are running around, which is just such a like, girl. They're not on the reservation yet. Like what the hell? Like, well, the dogs weren't scrawny, and second of all, their their dogs were useful and did things. You could. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, that's where I'm like, why are these scrawny, unfair? Uh, how many like, yellow braids out of five potential house? yellow braids? Is this? Out of five adopted yellow-haired daughters, <laughs> I give it a one. Should we explain also what our rating system is? Like, we're not rating it for the goodness of the book. We're rating yes. it for, like, sh- is this a useful tool for teaching history? Yes. It is. I give it a one. It is not. There is there is nothing valuable about this text other than breaking down the horrifying biases of the 1980s. Yeah. I gave Meet Kirsten a one steamboat out of five so i feel like this one i gotta do zero yellow haired daughters because i feel like this is actively harmful i mean i feel like we should make it an option because it's there's no redeeming qualities to this there was nothing that was even remotely accurate there was nothing that would teach you about the time period really beyond like I don't know, corporal punishment was a thing in schools, was, I guess, accurate, but not in the way it's depicted here. So it's, it's a zero for me. Kirsten, no no yellow-haired adopted daughters. Go back home and make bread. Yeah. Yeah, literally the only redeeming thing about this for me was at the end, they have a really good description of what a one-room schoolhouse was. Mm, fair, fair. On that merit, I, I give it a one for the postscript, but like just because yeah, there's there's a little section about like what about this the, time, yeah. and it is exclusively about the schoolhouse and not about the horrifying racism that they did through the rest yeah. of the book. No, it, but all schoolhouse, no frontier genocide. Yeah, I feel like we could rename this book. Kirsten does a racism. Kirsten is a war criminal. You heard it here. First. <laughs> Hashtag cancel Kirsten. <laughs> I feel like the Mary girls beat us to it. I feel like they canceled her. Yeah, they got rid of her. Yeah, she should she should be removed. <laughs> she should be retired. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, All right. that's I think the episode. So I think that's it. Yay! Yay we're freedom. all free. A 
American Girlies is a production of the Baba Yaga Project. We are produced by Sam Gleavery. We are hosted by Sonia M, Margot Mathieu, and Hannah sparwasser Siroka. Our music is composed and performed by Esther Ruth Teal. This episode was edited by Hannah sparwasser Siroka and Sam Gleavery, and it was mixed by Margot Mathieu. The podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporters just like you. If you would like to subscribe and support our show, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Project for bonus content and extra goodies. We are at Baba Yaga Project on Twitter and at The Baba Yaga Project on TikTok and Instagram. Thanks, girlies! <laughs>